We're starting a new series today. It's going to be a four-part series, and it's called The Outsiders. The Outsiders. Did any of you ever read that novel, The Outsiders, or seen that movie, The Outsiders? It's a great story. I love, I love watching that movie. And uh, I thought about that when, uh, when I, I titled the series The Outsiders, but that, it doesn't have anything to do with that novel or that movie. In fact, The Outsiders is a little bit of an odd title because, as you know, we live in a very divisive culture right now with all the tribalism that dominates the political landscape and the cultural landscape. Thinking of and labeling people as outsiders or insiders, it seems like it would only add to the divisiveness already in our country. In fact, these days, if someone is an insider, if someone is an insider, it's because you believe what we believe, so you're accepted. You're part of our inner circle, and, and uh, you're my friend. I may not know you personally, but you're my friend. You're an insider because you believe what we believe. But if someone is an outsider, then it means that, okay, you believe something different than what we believe, so you're rejected. You're part of them. You're part of the outsiders. You're not an insider. And so you're my enemy, not just an opponent, right? Not just an opponent. You're my enemy. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you want to kill the, your political enemies or some way ruin their lives. I, I guess it could be possible for some people. But it does mean that you're not from my tribe. Therefore, you're not welcome. You and your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams mean nothing to me. Or they mean very little to me, at least not as much as those who are insiders like me. And you're seeing this, right? We're, we're all seeing this in our culture. We see it in, uh, on fa uh, Facebook, you know, all the social media, Twitter is terrible about that. You know, uh, you're in and you're out. You're an insider, but you're an outsider. And the point being that the word outsider and the outsiders, I mean, it's got some baggage attached to it. There's no doubt about it. So I thought about that. Even, even last night, I was going through my notes and adding some, some things, and I thought, do I really want to call this the outsiders? But I, I continue with that because that word outsiders is still, even though it's got that baggage with it, it's a biblical word. Did you know that? Outsiders is a biblical word, and we're going to see that in that context, in the biblical context, it carries a very different meaning. A very different connotation from what we're accustomed to right now in our culture. Very different than what we're seeing in our world today. So, we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians 4. We're also going to read later from Colossians 4. And then 1 Corinthians 9. So those are our, our, our three starting verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, then Colossians 4, then 1 Corinthians 9. But 1 Thessalonians 4... Beginning with verse 11, one of my favorite verses here, two verses, reads like this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, if you know anything 
about the Jewish culture in which Paul, who wrote these words, had been raised, you know that Gentiles, which is anybody who's not a Jew, right? So I'm a Gentile, you're a Gentile. Anybody who's not descended from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Gentiles were the ultimate spiritual outsiders. In fact, remember how Paul was persecuting the church because he was very zealous for his insider group, the the Jews. And so isn't it funny that now Paul is writing these words. Paul, who was part of the ultimate insider group, is now writing these words and is is telling the Thessalonians, you uh, live your life in a way that you'll win the respect of outsiders. And in fact, he's the one who, who was commissioned by God to spread the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, the ultimate outsiders. And so in this verse, in these two verses we just read, Paul is saying that we want people who are not from our tribe, who are not Christians. That's our tribe. We want people who are outside of our tribe to think so highly of us. So we're going to do whatever it takes to win their respect, which in this case he defined that as uh, the way we do that is by adding value to their society by, by two things, he says in this, uh, these two verses. By staying out of divisive conflicts. He said, mind your own business, right? Don't get into divisive conflicts because you don't win the respect of the outsiders. And in and, and our culture, you want to get in a divisive culture because you want to own the libs or own the conservatives, right? And Paul is saying, no, don't get into divisive conflicts. Mind your own business. And the other thing he says is, Win the respect also by being productive in some way. Work with your hands. All right. So he clearly here is is teaching. No longer are they outsiders that we want to keep out. We're going to make all these rules like the Jews had all these rules to keep out anybody else, anybody who was not a Jew and who was not, you know, fulfilling all the the rules and the laws that they had. But now he's saying we want to win the respect of the outsiders. And then to the Colossians, in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul writes this. Be wise in the way you act toward whom? Toward outsiders, right? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So now Paul is, is saying, as, as, as we relate to those who, again, are outsiders, as we relate to people who are not from our tribe, who are not Christians, Paul is saying, think before you speak. Be gracious in the way you speak. Be gracious in the way you approach people who are outsiders. Say the kinds of things that make people thirsty for what you have. Right? Seasoned with salt. So that they're... They're thirsty for what you have in your life. So are you seeing the difference now in how the word outsider is used? The way it's used in our world today. And the way that it's used in the Bible. People outside the the faith that are, uh, Paul is teaching, people that are outside the faith are not considered to be part of the despise them. They're outsiders, but we don't despise them the way that culturally or political, politically we might, 
They're not considered our enemies. Instead, outsiders are to be treasured. Outsiders are to be valued. They are of great value to us as Christians. They matter. And so let's go to the next passage in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 21 and 22. Here's what what Paul says. And, And this is to kind of understand why outsiders are valued so highly to us and should be valued to us as insiders. And I say we're insiders because we're of the faith. So he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now let me, if you'll stay with me here, I, 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 wanna, uh, I want us to look at a little, I'm going to get into a little Greek here, right? I look, looked up this phrase in the, uh, Greek lexicon, Greek dictionary. The phrase, not having the law, when he says at the beginning, to those not having the law. That phrase, not having the law, in the Greek is just one word. It's a word, animos. Animos. And the word animos means lawless or outside the law. Lawless or outside the law. So when he says to those not having the law, he's saying to those that are outside the law. In other words, to those that are outsiders. Now that's, uh, you can, uh, according to this definition, you can use lawless or you can use outside the law. Most uh, the translations that I looked at, like the NIV, the King James, uh, others, they use lawless or uh, without the law or not having the law. But the ESV, the English Standard Version, translates these verses like this. 1 Corinthians 9.21, to those outside the law, I became as one Outside the law. And we just read that's that's exactly what it means. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Right? So he's talking about winning the outsiders, those that are outside the law. So, in other words, Paul is saying, look, I did whatever I could, short of sin, to relate to the customs and the habits of people that are outsiders. To, to understand, to relate. People who are outside the law. So that perhaps, maybe one day. He's saying, outsiders to the faith. Outsiders to our tribe will become insiders. That's what Paul means by winning them. So that some, by all means, I may win some. And think about this. Here's what I want you to get. This is so opposite of the thinking that predominates our culture and our political, our, uh, our political culture, our political world and cultural world. It's so different from the default mindset that says that outsiders should remain outsiders. And in fact, some people say the further away outsiders are, the better for us that are insiders. Right? If, if, uh, if, if you're a conservative, the further out the liberals are, the better. If you're a liberal, the further out the conservatives are, the better. I've heard people uh, say, because there's no, uh, it's no secret that there are many people who are coming 
to, for example, Texas, which is considered a red state, from blue states like California. A lot of people, and we, you know, I, I, we've seen this happening. In fact, my wife has a, a cousin who just moved this past year, and she had a hard time finding a house because a lot of people from California are coming to Texas and buying houses sight unseen. They're just, you know, paying for those houses, and and uh, she uh, didn't buy a house where she initially wanted to. She ended up uh, a long ways away. She she bought a really nice place, she and her husband. But she said it's just the realtors are telling them, it's just all these people come from California. And I've heard pe- people, I've heard uh, Christians say we don't want them to come. We we want them to stay in California. We don't want them to come to Texas and turn this state purple or blue. And politically, that makes sense. Politically, I'm like, yeah. And people in California, I guess, would be saying, we don't want people from Texas coming to California. You know, they're, you know, they're uh, behind the times and all these, whatever they might call Texans. You know, and politically, I mean, don't you think that makes sense? Yeah, we don't, we don't want. But you know what? As Christians, as Christians, Paul was saying, no, no. They're not our enemies, but they are someone that they are valuable to us. And this is not the way we do things in Christianity. Paul is, and Paul knew all about the, you know, the, the division, the outsiders, insiders between Jews and Gentiles. But he's saying, okay, this is not true in Christianity. Not so in Christ. In Christianity, those that are outside our tribe are not the enemy. In Christianity, those that are outside our tribe are treasured and they, they matter, they're valued. In Christianity, the hope isn't that outsiders will move out further out. Instead, the hope is that they might someday become insiders. How are we as a church, how are we as a as Christians, going to reach people that are outside the faith just because they're outside our political group or cultural group. This is a big truth right here. I want you to remember this. In Christianity, in Christianity, the reason insiders even exist is so that outsiders can become insiders. That's the reason we exist as a church. It's not the only reason. That the church exists, we exist to encourage one another, we exist to meet needs. Uh, one of the things that I value as a pastor is, is being able to provide pastoral care for you, to be able to pray for you, to be able to go visit you at the hospital, to be able to hear you tell me about what you're going through, what your kids are going through, and to help you pray, uh, to be there, to you know, marry your kids, bury your, you know, your parents, whatever. And so this is not the only reason, but... A huge reason of why insiders even exist is so that outsiders can become insiders. Why wouldn't we want to receive people people who are outside the faith? It gives us an opportunity to reach them. To reach them. And this was, I believe it's true today. I believe it's true in the book of Acts. As we read the book of Acts, we find the, how clear that message is. But it was true long before Jesus came on the scene. And, and it was true before Christianity began. Christianity began, it goes all the way back to the days of, of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. In the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and his wife, who 
as you know, were childless and way past the point of having children. And, and God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. Sarah, your wife, will become pregnant. And one of your descendants, uh, or one day your descendants, rather, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. They'll be as dispersed as the dust of the earth. But God told Abraham, I'm not doing this for your benefit. I'm doing this because through you, all the families of the, of the world, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And God repeated that same commission, not just to Abraham, but to Isaac, his son, and his son, Jacob. And then he repeated this to the entire nation of Israel. Isaiah, and Hebrew quotes Isaiah saying, as a nation, you will be a light to the nations. The point being that God chose Abraham and his line of descendants to know him and to be his people, to be the insiders, so that those who did not know him would get to know him. The insiders existed in the Old Testament so that the outsiders could become insiders. The sad reality, we know the stories that Israel did not fulfill that commission. In fact, by the time Jesus came on the scene, the insiders had narrowed their circle so tightly, so much that many of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob themselves were being excluded and were being shunned. And then, of course, what can we say about the Gentiles who just were looked down upon? The Samaritans that were half-breed were looked down upon. So when Jesus came on the scene, he began to hang out with the tax collectors. These were some of the ones that even though they were, they, they were part of the insider group, they had been shunned because of their uh, occupation. Prostitutes, other notorious sinners, people who were clearly on the outside. And so Jesus began to hang around with them. He began to eat with them. Now, you know, and it was a big deal in those days who you ate with. Because the custom was that only friends would eat with friends. Only the insider group would eat together. And so Jesus was making a statement by eating with people. And his statement was, I like these people. These sinners are my friends. Because again, insiders only ate with friends. So Luke 15, 1 and 2 Luke 15, we read this, that the, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they became very angry. Why were they so angry? Well, definitely, I'm, it's because they thought, I would think, they thought that Jesus was contaminating himself. It's like, you should know better. You say you're the Son of God, but you're hanging out with sinners. But could it also be that they thought and they felt that maybe Jesus was giving these sinners some hope? And they're like, no, 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 no. They're outsiders. You can't give them any hope, false hope that they're going to become insiders. You're making them think that maybe they can become insiders. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. And so they complained. They became very angry, as they were prone to do with Jesus. 
But instead of addressing their complaints and their criticism directly, Jesus told them three short stories. Many of you know these three short stories, three parables, three in a row. The only time that we read in the Gospels that Jesus told three parables in a row to make the same point. As if to say, okay, this is important. Listen, kids. Okay, three stories here. The, the first one is the story of the lost sheep. Then he told the story of the lost coin. And, and then thirdly, the story of the lost son, or as we call him, the prodigal son. And in all three stories, something or someone is lost and then found. And then when that lost item, or in the third story, the lost uh, person, first the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, is found, there is great rejoicing. Great rejoicing. In fact, in all three cases, a party is thrown. They throw a party. When the lost coin is found, when lost sheep is found, lost coin, and then the lost son. And Jesus told them, well, as he told the story, he said, in the same way that there is rejoicing over this lost coin, or this lost sheep, or this lost son, in the same way there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. He, he, he said, there's rejoicing in heaven, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, over the 99 sheep that did not need to be uh, found or did not need to repent. There's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. So all these stories end in a celebration. They all end in a party as if to tell us that heaven doesn't celebrate. Heaven doesn't celebrate when sinners meet their judgment. And when sinners are condemned. No, heaven celebrates when sinners repent and they turn to God. When they come from the outside to the inside. Outside to faith to inside to faith. And, and, and Jesus was telling the, the religious leaders, you're not getting this. You're complaining because you don't understand. The purpose of insiders is not to keep outsiders out. It's so that outsiders can become insiders. In the same way, next point, listen to this. In the same way, in the same way that lost things matter to people, lost people matter to God. In the same way that lost things matter to people, lost people, i.e. people who are not of this tribe, people who are outsiders to the faith, they matter to God. Let me take you to Ephesians 2.11. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Ephesians 2.11 through 13. Paul writes this. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Now what Paul wrote to this group of Christians that were not of, of Hebrew heritage, is helpful for us today. And he's telling them something that we've got, to re, we've got to remember today. And that's this. We must remember that we were once outsiders. You were once an outsider. I was an outsider. 
And if it hadn't been for someone whose heart was in tune with God's heart, for outsiders, without someone who cared enough to invest a little bit of time and to sacrifice uh, the, their, their life to a certain extent, their, their career maybe, uh, if, if they went as missionaries, or just to, to invest some time with us here in their circle of influence and to invite us into the circle of faith, if it hadn't been for them, we would still be outsiders. And for me and, and my family, it happened when missionaries went to Mexico to preach the gospel in a small village where my mom and her dad and the rest of their family, uh, her, her mom had passed away when my mom was young. But as a young teenager, they heard the gospel for the first time and they were just amazed. It was something new to them and they gave their lives to Christ, brand new to Christ. My mom says they, they would kneel and pray. They didn't know how to pray. She says they would that she would read the Bible. I shared with you a story before of how she came to have a Bible. But they, she would read the Bible, uh, and then they would kneel. She said, we didn't know what to do. We would just kneel in the living room. It was probably just, I imagine, just a dirt floor. And, and they would just kind of kneel there, and they'd pray. She and her dad, and, uh, and they, would, they would pray, and I'm guessing the rest of the siblings as well. But somebody went to that place, and because of that, the door was open for us to become insiders to the faith. I can't imagine what my life would be like if somebody hadn't taken an interest in that village. I can't imagine what my life would be like. And, and maybe you're the same way. If somebody hadn't, hadn't preached to me directly or to my ancestors, to my parents or grandparents, uh, maybe we cannot imagine. But Paul actually describes what our lives would have been like in this passage we just read. If you go back and look at, at this passage from... Um, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, he says that we would, uh, without somebody uh, caring for us as outsiders, if we hadn't come to the faith, we would be excluded. He says we would be without hope. And when he says we would be without God, he doesn't just mean that we would be without the knowledge of God, but he means that, that uh, God would not be our God. He would not be our God, and because He would not be our God, He would be against us, not for us. And, and, and to put it in terms that Paul uses in Romans 2, verse 5, Romans 2, 5, we would be storing up wrath for ourselves for that day of judgment before God. We'd be storing up God's wrath against us for the day of judgment. Jesus said we would one day go away into eternal punishment. Jesus said that himself. And so we would be without hope, which means we would have no way of becoming insiders. Even if we wanted to, we'd have no way of becoming insiders. No way to think that there's more to this life than what I'm living. No way to think that. No, no meaning to our lives be beyond just eat, drink, and be merry. Just work, go to work, come home, drink, eat. You know, go back to work. We'd have no direction or guidance beyond what we would come up with ourselves from whatever we heard from our political tribe or our cultural tribe. No sense of God's presence. No sense of the Holy Spirit in our lives or the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We would still be outsiders today if it had not been for insiders at some point in our lives or previous or prior to us. Insiders whose hearts were softened toward outsiders and whose, heart was in, whose hearts were in tune with God's heart 
for outsiders. If, we, if it wasn't for insiders who understood that their call as insiders wasn't just to lock arms and keep all the outsiders out of our inner circle, we'd still be outsiders. If it weren't for insiders who believed that we as outsiders were just as valuable to God as they were. And I thank God for the insiders that knew what's, what was at stake for us. And I'm saying all these things as I want you to understand what's at stake for people who are outsiders right now. That description that Paul gives us, without a hope, storing up wrath, they're storing up wrath for themselves. We can't, as Christians, say, well, good, they deserve it. No, they're storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. Jesus said they're, they're headed to eternity uh, without, without God, their eternal punishment. That's what's at stake for them. No sense of God in their lives. And so we need to ask ourselves some questions then. We need to ask ourselves, do I understand how much outsiders really matter to God? And do I understand and believe that outsiders are not the enemy, but they're greatly treasured, they're highly valued to God, and they should be to us as well? Do, do we understand that it's God's will for us and our lives not just to be, to, to kind of draw ourselves into a holy huddle that keeps outsiders further out? Do we understand that his will is through us and because of us, some outsiders might somehow, someday, some way become insiders, become believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus, insiders uh, um, uh, in the faith. And I know, I mean, it, it's hard for us. Uh, it's hard for us to imagine, to think this, to imagine this, maybe to, to embrace it, because some of the folks that are outsiders are skeptical of you. They're skeptical. Sometimes they're even hostile. Sometimes they even make fun of you. Maybe they've mocked you and told you what an idiot you are because of what you believe. And now your heart is, is wounded. I mean, I understand that. We're wounded, we're hurt, we're bitter, we're angry at them. And so we're closed off toward them. But I just, I want to challenge you, challenge all of us, me included. Let's not close our heart, our hearts toward outsiders. Let's open it up. Ask God to help us. We need God's help in this. And let's seriously consider this. Who are the outsiders in your life? Who are the outsiders in your sphere of influence? You know, what I, you know what I'd love for you to do is make a list of people in your circle of influence that are outsiders and begin to pray for them. Begin to pray for them. I announce to you that today we're starting a six-week six week campaign that we call the Six Weeks of Easter. We've done this every year for... Oh, I know, I, I said seven or eight years, it might be longer than that. And I don't want this campaign, it is not, it's, not, it's not a massive campaign, you're not going to have a lot of branding. And, no, it's just six weeks of Easter that will help us to understand some of what we're learning today from God's Word. The six weeks of Easter, I, the reason that 
we do this is because Easter is a great opportunity to invite people to become insiders, to come to the Lord. It's a great opportunity to invite people to come to church and, um, because people, people know Christmas and Easter, I'm going to go to church, right? Even people who don't go regularly. The problem with Easter is, is that while Christmas is always the same date, Easter is a moving target. Right? Some of you right now, if, I had to, if you had to tell me when is Easter, you couldn't without looking it up. It's uh, April 17th. Right? So uh, it's a moving target, and sometimes people don't know. And, and so we're gonna, uh, I'm going to challenge you to identify outsiders in your life and pray for them and invite them to come. If they don't already have a home church, invite them to come to celebrate Easter with us at Solid Rock. Now, six weeks of Easter breaks up like this. For two weeks, for two weeks, I want you every day to pray for an outsider in your circle of influence. And pray for yourself as well, that your heart would be open to outsiders. That you would not see them through the lens of political and cultural outsiders, but through the lens of biblical outsiders. And so we're going to start two weeks of just praying daily. Praying. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Pray for our Easter service. Those are the three things I want you to pray for. For yourself, for outsiders that you've identified in your life, and just pray for our Easter service. Pray that God would, would just be with us and we'd have a great time of celebration in which people would have an opportunity to turn to God. Uh, a couple of years ago, maybe it's been three or four years ago, I even said, look, pray so often. I want you to pray during, uh, when, you, when you pray for your food, when you give thanks for your food, pray for the Easter service. I mean, remember me saying that. And, and uh, in fact, uh, that Sunday that I said that, we went to, I remember we went to Schlotsky's, me and my wife, and I think it was uh, Ackers. Uh, and uh, Carlos Flores was with us. And uh, I think he said something about, okay, I'm going to see if you talking to me, pray for the meal and see if you're really going to do what you said. Uh, you know, so yeah, pray, pray for the meal and pray for our Easter service. And every day uh, before Easter, we did that. I'm, and I'm not saying you have to do that now, but I'm just saying look for opportunities to pray. So it's going to be two weeks of praying, two weeks of prayer. And then the next two weeks are going to be two weeks of actually inviting people. You've been praying for them for two weeks that God would soften their hearts. And, and then uh, I'll, at that point, I'll have some invitation cards for you. And the next two weeks, you'll continue to pray. Don't stop praying. But you're gonna, we're going to add inviting people. I'll give you some cards. Can you just use, hey, here's our Easter service. And if you don't have a place to go, come worship with us. And, uh, and then it's going to be Easter. Right? But as we know, a lot of people that say they're going to come may not come. And so the last two weeks is going to be inviting them uh, for the follow-up, the, the follow-up um, sermon series after Easter. Follow-up after Easter, you know, I always try to find something that's going to be, um, you know, that people who aren't in the faith, people who are outsiders, something maybe something practical that that will call their attention their attention to what God has for them in the scriptures, and so. If somebody you invite, you give them a card, they, they don't come, 
then you can talk to them and just don't ignore them. Say, hey, I'm sorry you weren't able to come, but we're starting a new series next Sunday, and it's about this. And here's, here's an invitation. And uh, so it's follow-up, okay? So follow, follow up with people who came. Say, hey, thanks for coming. Uh, you know, we have a new series. I'd love for you to come back as we start the series. And follow up with people who didn't come. Don't make them feel bad. Hey, you lied to me. You didn't, you didn't come. You said, no, don't make them feel bad. You just tell them, hey, I'm sorry I didn't make it, but, you know, it's not all bad because we have another, uh, an, another, we're starting a new series. And I, I always think that uh, events like Easter or the beginning of a new series like this are great on-ramps to invite people who are outsiders to come and join us. And, and uh, maybe they're not ready to give their lives to the Lord, but they're ready to come and be part of a service and, and, God, and God begins to work in their hearts. And so how many of you, would commit to taking part in the six weeks of Easter by praying, inviting, and following up. That's it. Pray for two weeks, and then we add inviting people for two weeks, and then following up with those that came and those that didn't come. If, if one of your friends comes, you're the best person to follow up with them. If we have their contact information, of course I will, but you're the best person as their friend to follow up with them and to invite them uh, to return. So that ultimately, as Paul said, some way, somehow, someday, we may win some. Let's pray together as we finish our time here. You'll be hearing some more about this throughout this next week from me, but in the meantime, begin to pray. And let's pray right now, and then we're going to worship God. Father, we, we turn to you right now, Lord, and I'm, I'm thankful, so thankful that one day an insider to the faith took the gospel to a family that was, that were outsiders. And through that event and through that process, I stand before you now saved, forgiven, not perfect, but knowing that my life has been changed by your Holy Spirit. Help us not to ever forget that we were once outsiders. Our parents were once outsiders. And help us not to forget what's at stake for outsiders right now, Father. Turn our hearts, dear God. Fill our hearts with love. Fill our hearts with compassion for the lost. Fill our hearts with the things that you care about so that we also may care. Lord, in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter, greatest, the greatest event in all of history. And it's, it's a great opportunity to invite outsiders. We would be foolish not to take advantage of this opportunity that you give us, just to invite people who might say, yeah, that's right, it's Easter. Yeah, I'll go with you just because it's Easter. We'd be foolish and uncaring and unloving if we didn't take advantage of that opportunity. But God, help us. Help us turn our hearts toward the outsiders, that we may see them the way that you see them. We pray this in Jesus' name.